Alright, how's everybody doing? You made it to the weekend. Can you believe it? I don't know where you are. It's probably Friday still. I'm in the East Coast. Technically it's Saturday, 12.30. But I'm certainly happy you're here. If you're new to this live, what we do here is we read some poems. I analyze them. You offer your thoughts. I share some personal stories. Also things related to relationships as well and give you some encouraging words and that's it so <laughs> if you are new to the life i encourage you to get some earphones on get some airpods on you know there's a lot of interesting content out there so many things are always kind of like in a rush Lots of funny things, lots of garbage, <laughs> lots of uh, fast-paced information. But I like to take these sessions as a time for some intellectual stimulation and also for some time for some laughter as well. So if you're here, welcome. And if you know anybody that actually could use some encouraging words, I encourage you to reach out to them and uh, let them know that there's some wholesome content. I think you'll be surprised with what you learn in this live. In any case, welcome once again. It is a pleasure. All right, so how many of you know who John Donne is? If you are not familiar with John Donne, you will be absolutely surprised because this guy wrote some amazing poems to some of the women that he cherished in his life. You will be surprised at like how many writers back in the in the 1500s actually wrote some of the most genuine words to some of the most lovely women. And so I think you guys will be surprised with some of his works. John Donne was a clergyman and he actually grew up in different parts of England. And what's interesting is that um, even though he was part of the Church of England, he actually still wrote some very, very intimate poetry to the people in his life, right? So not necessarily related. He did write some poems to like his, his uh, siblings and also obviously to his mother and aunts and grandmother. And, of course, he wrote some to some very special ladies, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so, what am I saying? Because even though he was part of the Church of England, he still wrote some content that was, shall we say, questionable in the Church of England. So, let's see what he says. You guys interested to hear what he wrote? It's very, very interesting. Very, very genuine, too. So, if you are new to this live... Once again, I encourage you to get some AirPods on, get some earphones on, and be prepared to hear, to listen to some really, really great words, okay? Like, words that were written back in the 1500s, and even today, it's still very stimulating. You guys ready? This is amazing stuff. I love poetry. You guys ready? Alright, so, this is called Love's Progress. Welcome, Jinx. It's always nice to have you here almost every live. 
and you should interact more man like or girl <laughs> seriously you should you should comment more i think you'd be very very pleasantly surprised with some of these works all right so this is written by john dunn this is called love's progress y'all ready hello nice to meet you thanks for being here i'm about to read a poem by john dunn it's called love's progress once again get those earphones on you ready here we go whoever loves if he do not purpose propose the right true end of love he is one that goes to see for nothing but to make him sick love is a bare whelp born if we o'erlick our love and force new strange shapes to take we err and of a lump a monster make we're not a calf a monster that were grown face like a man though better than his own perfection is in unity prefer one woman first and then one thing in her i when i value gold may think upon the ductile <laughs> ductileness the application the wholesomeness the ingenuity from rust from soil from fire ever free but if i love it tis because tis made by our new nature the soul of trade all these in women we might think upon if women had them and yet love but one can men more injure injure women than to say they love for that by which they're not they makes virtue women must i cool my blood till i both be and find one wise and good may barren angels love so but if we make love to woman virtue is not she as beauty's not nor wealth he that strays thus from her to hers is more adulterous than if he took the maid search every sphere and firmament our cupid is not there he's an infernal god and underground with pluto dwells where gold and fire abound men to such gods there sacrificing coals did not in altars lay but pits and holes uh -oh. although we see the celestial bodies move abo above the earth the earth we till and love so we her heirs contemplate words and heart and virtues but we love the centric part nor is the soul more worthy or more fit for love than this desired place how much they air that set out at the face the hair is a the hair of forest is of ambushes of springs snares fetters and manacles the brow becalms us when tis smooth and plain and when tis wrinkled shipwrecks us again smooth tis a paradise where we would have immortal stay and wrinkled tis our grave
the nose, like to the first meridian runs not twixt in e an east and west, but twixt two suns, two suns, two. It leaves the cheek, a rosy hemisphere, on either side, and then directs us where, upon the islands fortunate we fall, not faint canaries, but abrosial. Our swelling lips to which when we are come we anchor there and think ourselves at home for they seem all their siren songs and their wise delphic oracles to fill the ear there in a creek where chosen pearls do swell the remora her cleaving tongue doth dwell these and the glorious promontory, her chin, or past and the straight hell's point between the cestos and abidos of her breasts. Not of two lovers, but two loves the nests. Succeeds a boundless sea, but yet thine eye some island moles may scatter there decay discry, and sailing toward her India in that way shall at her fair Atlantic navel stay, though thence the current by be thy pilot made, yet ere thou be where thou wouldst be embayed, thou shalt upon another forest set, where my many shipwreck and no further get. When thou art there, consider what this chase misspent by thy beginning at the face. Rather, set out below, practice my art, some symmetry the foot hath with that part which thou dost seek, and is thy map for that lovely enough to stoop but not stay at. That's a good one. Least subject to disguise and change it is. Men say the devil never can change his. It is the emblem that hath figured firmness. Tis the first part that comes to bed. Civility, we see refined. The kiss, which at the face began transplanted is. Since to the hand, since to the imperial knee, now at the papal foot delights to be, if kings think that the near way and do rise from the foot, lovers may do so too. For as free spheres more faster far than can birds whom the air resists so many that man, which goes this empty and ethereal way, and if at beauty's element be, he stay. Rich natures hath in woman wisely made two purses, and their mouths aversely laid. Then they which to the lower tribute owe that way which the exchequer looks must go, 
he that doth not, his error is a great, is as great, as who by Kleister gave the stomach meat. <laughs> it's not complicated, I promise. The only problem is, is that here, John Donne, okay, I mean, obviously it helps if you have the text in front of you, but if you were read it, once again, if you came to the live a little bit late, uh, the title of this poem is called um, Love's Progress by John Donne. It's written around 15, mid-1500s. But the thing is, like, <laughs> this guy basically is, like, a little frustrated. <laughs> and the way he's explaining his, his frustration is, like, he can't understand, like, how it is that when he's trying to profess his kind-heartedness to a woman, he gets no sort of, like, reply right the reply in the sense of like like something that is 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 um dear to him right so like a reply in the sense that she will acknowledge him right that she will abide by you know his leadership that he will be the man that will protect and comfort and embrace and you know kiss and just be her companion right and so here John Donne is like writing this very, very elongated explanation of like why he's frustrated, right? So he's frustrated because he's not getting that reaction from this woman that he's, he was pursuing, right? I mean, I'm sure y'all are experiencing that right now with your lives. I mean, I'm assuming most of you, most of y'all are single. Right, so this doesn't. Those of you who are not single, this doesn't apply to you. So, <laughs> but for the rest of us, festivus for the rest of us. Uh, for the rest of us, uh, we have to. We we know that experience, right? We felt that experience, right? When we try to express our desire for somebody, and then like, you know, it doesn't really. We don't get a reply that is, shall we say, beneficial. <laughs> right something that is good for us right i mean we assume that like by us expressing our desire for that person then we think that it's beneficial for them so therefore like you know we kind of want that also like you know that sort of comfort as well right we want that sort of acknowledgement right it's not enough to say oh yeah that was nice <laughs> oh thank you that was cute or that was funny thank you for for making that right i mean you're welcome but like is there like a a phrase in there that like says oh man you're interested in me <laughs> or is that something that i must make up right so this is stuff that john dunn was like basically trying to wrestle with and yes this was written in the mid 1500s so if this was happening already, can you imagine, right? Like, this complicatedness of relationships has always existed. Always. Right? There's no particular, like, I mean, you know, speaking from a scholar, a scholar point of view, we can't really pinpoint, per se, the moment that relationships got, get complicated. I mean, you can attribute that to, you know, if you're a Christian, then you can attribute that to the fall of man, right? When sin was introduced to the world. 
and to every human being. You know, miscommunication is not exactly a peaceful practice, right? Miscommunication is something that is always leading towards pain, which is why we call it miscommunication, right? When you take the word communication, okay, when you break it down, right, kumunis, right, which is uh, Greek, right, Greek for a commonality, right, within a group, perhaps a nation, community, tribe, kingdom, what have you, there is a commonality, right? When you communicate, you are trying to bridge this commonality between you and this other person, right? Between point A and point B. And if you want to include C, D, E, and F, that's fine. But the point is, all of those people in that particular space, you have a commonality, you're trying to achieve in a common a commonality. So therefore, if it's not achieved, then it's miscommonality. Right? It's miscommonality. Therefore, it's not achievable. It's not in communion. It's not at peace. It's not understood. Uh, yesterday I was talking to a friend and I shared this word uh, co-substantial or consubstantial. And whenever you are trying to understand something, then what you're really doing is you're putting yourself beneath whatever that idea or topic or, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to communicate Right, so when you're understanding, you are standing underneath it. So in many ways, you are humbling yourself in order to receive and comprehend what it is that you're trying to understand. Right, what you're trying to, what you're trying to like unravel, what you're trying to like represent in your mind, what you're trying to actually achieve. Right? This is all part of the like communis, right? This is all part of like the community, the communication, the commonality. So when you are understanding something, you are underneath it. It's a very humbling experience, right? Like, you know, I don't want to generalize all children in the United States, but let me just say that <laughs> there's quite a few kids that actually have this really bad habit of saying, yes, I know. I know, I know, you know, and I, you know, as much as I love my, my boy and I love him very much, he used to say this a lot, you know, yeah, when I was trying to explain to him about things in life and he would just respond even before I was able to explain it, like, I know, <laughs> you know, many times this is a defense mechanism, right? Yeah. Adults as well. You're right, Aubrey. Adults do this all the time. And it's really, it's a defense mechanism because, you know, when, when we talk about communication, the psychology about communication, like it's a defense mechanism because you don't want to humble yourself. You don't want to acknowledge that you are lacking. You don't want to acknowledge that you are particularly uh, not not weak in the phys physical sense, but like 
in in the intellectual sense, right? Which is still debilitating, right? So I understand that completely. I mean, I you know went through six years of doctoral work, and trust me, I went through some really really humbling experiences with quite a few professors that, you know, for lack of a better word, put me in my place because I thought I knew everything. I thought I had the best ideas. I thought I could communicate myself really well. And it wasn't until the great, the great professor, um, I'm just going to call him Dr. K, <laughs> the great Dr. K, who's one of the most well-recognized um, scholars of science and communication very first essay i gave him when i took his seminar he he within the within like the same night after i gave him my first essay in his course he basically just ripped you know he wrote on it he was like you need to see me asap and of course i was like what does that mean right so I talked to him the next day and he told me straight up, he was like, you know, son, I don't really don't know how you got into this program. <laughs> he straight up told me that I really don't know how you got into this program because your writing is terrible. <laughs> I mean, I can laugh about it now because he and I are really good friends now. Awesome friends. And I actually wrote him this really, really beautiful um honorable um, dedication I wrote this really long letter dedicating it to him in, in, in his honor and I talked about that incident where or not incident but I talked about that that time where he basically like told me that I was a bad writer <laughs> and so after I got off I after I calmed down and you know figured out that I need to like not allow my pride to get in the way this man took me underneath his wings metaphorically speaking and every day every day in his office I would do these grammar exercises you know that's how much this guy really cared for me and really dedicated his time for me I'm absolutely appreciative of this guy 100% and I will never forget that I love telling that story to everybody because no matter how knowledgeable, knowledgeable you are, no matter how sophisticated you may seem, no matter how intellectual you may be, no matter how well eloquent you may speak in public, no matter how genuine or innovative you are in your pedagogical approach to others, the number one attribute you need to have whenever you are learning anything, anything. It can be sewing, it can, play, it can be playing soccer, it can be learning how to play Scrabble, I don't know, shoots and ladders, riding a bike, learning how to cook, playing a guitar or instrument, I mean, or even learning poems. The number one attribute you need to have 
is humility, being humble, and realize I really don't know much. <laughs> and that's a great place to be. That is a great place to be. Because now, when you start from the bottom, you can like appreciate all your surroundings and you can like look at the things that you're interested in right when you learn about like a poem for example you can realize oh man this word i say this all the time i can't believe i actually missed it like i didn't know what the word transplant means until like i read this poem right i'm not gonna use this particular live to re-explain this because those of you who have been following me you already know how much i really love the word longing right I've used that word so many times before I read poems. And then after I read these poems that use the word longing, then I started realizing, oh man, that's what longing means. That's how I should use it. That's how it should signify. What The next time I say it to a woman or to somebody that's really close to me, I will know exactly how to express that word. And there, therefore, they will know that when I use it, it's meaningful. And it's so powerful and so genuine and it's so personal. When I say I long for you, I mean it. And here's why I mean it. Because I read it in a poem once that talked about longing. Right? The same can be applied when you are learning an instrument. Right? Oh man, I heard this tune. Um, I don't know if you're, I don't know, whatever song you really like, right? Like if you're an Eagles fan or I don't know, anything, right? So like, oh man, that, that guitar when he was playing the G chord. Like, there's so many ways you can play that, right? Like the strumming, right? The picking. It's the same chord. <laughs> it's the exact same chord. But I'm learning it differently because... Some of these guys that have been playing that song and learning how to play the G chord for so long, they taught me, they showed me that this is how you can also play the G chord, right? Same thing goes with recipes. Those of you who love to cook, I mean, seriously, how many ways can you make pasta, <laughs> right? But wait, 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 let's add a little bit of oregano in here, right? Wait, no, no, wait, let's... Let's make your own sauce, right? Let's let's get some diced tomatoes here, right? Put it on a saucepan, right? Get that right temperature. You see what I'm saying here? Like, you can do the same thing. You can learn about the same things. But you need to understand that you don't know it all. <laughs> you need to be, practice humility. Now, there's something very important that I need to state regarding humility. Because eventually, once you do get in the habit of learning, of realizing you that it's okay for you not to know everything, right? And, and therefore learn, this is where one of the greatest philosophers of all time, his name is Plato, who actually argued in his most referenced dialogue of all time which is called the republic if you're not familiar with the republic the republic is about 
Plato ba basically trying to design and teach others about the best culture that any human civilization can develop, right? So basically like the perfect kingdom, right? And not necessarily perfect, actually. I, he didn't actually say that. It would be like the most uh, functional, the most functional uh, culture, right? The most functional kingdom, the most functional society, right? Because Plato actually acknowledged that there's some bad people, right? There's always going to be weak links. And so you can never have a perfect culture. You can never have a perfect kingdom. You can never have a perfect society. So Plato, in terms of learning and uh, in terms of learning and uh, humility, Plato actually argued in that dialogue that the best suited leaders of these most efficient functional societies are philosopher kings. Now, what is a philosopher king? A philosopher king for Plato is a leader that not only acknowledges that he doesn't know it all, but he's willing to learn. And once he learns it, then he wants to learn more. And therefore, he is much more interested in learning than actually like being steadfast in leadership. It's a little complicated. It, it, no, it's not really complicated, but like there's so many other things that he actually said about regarding that. But I don't know if you understand what I'm saying here. So like in order to be a great leader, then you must constantly learn and do things that you are not familiar with. And there's a point where you actually have to like put it in practice. So even if like, even if you may, how should I say this? Even if you learn everything that's to be known, the final step in becoming a philosopher king is to be to stand your ground to stand your ground with the knowledge that you have and what does that what does that look like it means that you are going to have to teach others about this newfound knowledge and some people won't like it but that's why you have to stand your ground and you have to stand your ground long enough for these people to realize themselves that they need to be humble and realize, oh man, he's right. <laughs> that's the beauty of philosopher kings. And that's why Plato saw philosopher kings as the most important, shall we say, factor in these functional societies. I don't consider myself a philosopher king, but I certainly wish not. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, but I certainly like would be up for the challenge if somebody appointed me as a philosopher king one day. <laughs> anyway, you guys like that? 
Isn't that so good? I got all of that from this one poem by John Donne. Interesting, no? John Donne. This guy. This guy. Can you believe this guy? Back in the 1500s. Unbelievable. Check this out. Here's a very short poem by John Donne. This is from a longer novel called The Passionate Pilgrim. This was written in 1599. And this one's titled, If Music and Sweet Poetry. So that's the title. Ready? Here we go. If music and sweet poetry agree, as they needs must, the sister and the brother, then must the love be great twixt thee and me. Because thou lovest the one and I the other. Thou land to thee is dear, Whose heavenly touch upon the lute doth ravish human sense. Spencer to me, whose deep conceit is such as Passing all conceit needs no defense. Thou lovest to hear the sweet melodious sound, that Phoebus lute, the queen of music, makes. And I in deep delight am chiefly drowned, when as himself to singing he betakes. One god is god of both, as poets fiend. One night loves both, and both in thee remain. Okay, I'm going to share one book that you need to read. It's called the es- the estip- the ep- sorry, the epistemological music of poetry. The epistemological music of poetry. And it's written by a guy named Steve Katz. I'm telling you, this book is going to blow your mind because Steve Katz basically like shows like the history of how poetry and the multiple forms of communication that it evolved into. Did you guys know that poetry when it was used in ancient Greece was used as a method to carry and pass down history? So this was before human beings learned how to write, right? At least in Western civilization, right? This was before like the Byzantine era, right? This is before Samaria, right? Which arguably is one of the oldest civilizations to ever exist. And the supposedly also the one of the first civilizations to write, to learn how to write and have a writing system an alphabet. So, where am I going with this book that I referenced? The the epistemological music of rhetoric. I'm sorry, music of poetry. Actually, I think it's called music of rhetoric. But he talks about poetry a lot in there. I think it, actually, you know what, that's what it's titled. It's the the epistemological music of rhetoric, which 
involves a lot of poetry in it. Anyway, where I'm going with this, guys, is that um, Stephen Katz actually like shows you why whenever we speak, whenever we communicate, whenever we talk to another human being, the words themselves already have this melodious connection, this musical connection. And it makes you wonder why it is that we are susceptible to persuasion. Right? If you're not familiar with like the rhetorical appeals, right? If you're not familiar with that term, the rhetorical appeals involves ethos, logos, and pathos, and a fourth one called kairos. So ethos, or let me let me start with pathos. Pathos is uh, a Latin word for emotions. So if you want to, like, if you want to communicate yourself to a person and try to persuade them, then you need to have some type of emotional appeal, right? Maybe share a sad story or a happy story. You know, use adjectives that are going to be very, very like, you know, very um, endearing, perhaps sympathetic, and then. That's not enough. If you really want to persuade somebody, you need to involve also logos appeal. Logos appeal is reason, right? Logic. So why is that important? Because whenever you are talking to somebody and you're trying to persuade them about something, you can't persuade anybody with just emotional appeals, right? You, you will never completely persuade anybody with just emotions, right? You can't use only sad stories. You cannot use only happy adjectives. You cannot use things that are going to be based on frustration and anger or the opposite, right? You need to involve some logic in there, right? You need to have some data. You need to have some actual facts, things that are self-evident perhaps, or at least evidential, right? Things that are like based on logic because emotions can go wild. And if you don't believe me, read any, any, any article from a psychiatrist that will share some very brief case studies on patients. And the number one attribute that each patient suffers from is, right, anxieties, right? Their emotional instability. So they need, their, their reasoning, their reasoning is not being practiced in these patients. Reason helps ground emotions, which is why you need both of them whenever you're trying to persuade somebody. And then thirdly, you need something called ethos. Ethos is based on credibility. So you can have the most profound evidence, you can have the most, shall we say, um, most persuasive logic in the world, right? The most persuasive fact in the world. But if the person who's saying it doesn't have a good reputation, therefore, whatever they say, it's going to have 
you're going to have a really difficult time persuading somebody about anything if the reputation is not intact. Case in point, okay, case in point, this is a little bit of a, this is going to be a little bit hard to swallow for many of you. Those of you who've taken any psychology classes or like are interested in psychology, one of the main um, theorists that you're going to read about is a guy named Michel Foucault. Don't get me wrong, this guy has written some amazing works. I've, I haven't read all of his works, but I've definitely read some of his more fundamental ones, right? So one of them being Knowledge and Archive. Anyway, I didn't find out till years later that this guy had a very sick practice. And this, he, was, he was a pedophile. Now in France, um, the age of being an adult is much lower than here in the States. But it doesn't change the fact that he had some really, really just sickening uh, practices in his house. And ever since I learned that, I was like, all right, all the stuff I read about this guy, it's garbage. And uh, it's unfortunate, you know, because a lot of his stuff was pretty, pretty profound. But I don't know. I'm careful with sharing uh, information about this guy, about his works. But maybe you have a different approach. I don't know. Perhaps. Maybe you're okay with it. But I'm certainly not. So that's what ethos does. Okay? Ethos looks at the reputation of the person that is sharing this knowledge. If the reputation is not intact, if it's blemished, if it's tarnished, if it's, you know, just something that is unbelievable, right? You're going to have a hard time trusting this guy. You're going to have a hard time trusting the information that they share. And that's how ethos works. So once again, if you want to persuade somebody of anything, right? If you want to properly communicate yourself, then you need to have pathos, logos, and ethos. There's a fourth one called kairos, but uh, it's a little difficult to explain because it involves timing. So like, uh, basically like, like, you know, if I were to talk about the internet back in 1960s, nobody would understand me. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's not the, the right time, basically, right? It, kairos is, is a, a Greek word for, for time, for chronos, right? Chronos is time. So once again, <laughs> it, it's, it's not that difficult to understand. I just didn't really, you know, it's, it's, one, of those it's one of those appeals in uh, rhetorical theory that doesn't really like... Well, most people like take it for granted, basically, <laughs> right? You're not gonna talk about um, you're not gonna talk about milk to to a to to a convention of uh, lactose intolerant people. <laughs> you see what I mean? So that's that's how Kronos works. That's how that's how Kairos works. It's based on timing, right, and the space too. <laughs> Right, you just lost your audience. Basically, you just lost whatever it is that you're communicating to them. 
based on the timing. It's just bad timing, that's all. <laughs> anyway, back to music and poetry. Just to sort of wrap up what I was trying to say about that book by Stephen Katz. He's trying to prove to us, the audience, the readers, that words themselves in the act of communication has an innate rhythm, has an innate sound, a tune, music. So even before instruments existed, music already existed because we learned we had the we have the ability to to speak we have the ability to communicate this is an intricate part of human beings right you can actually see that in animals by the way and in the animal kingdom how many of you have gone to like a dolphin show and you heard the dolphins like squeak, right? I'm not going to do a squeaking sound in here, but imagine the imagine the squeaking sounds that, that the dolphins make, right? It's a musical tone, right? It's a musical intonation, right? Bats do this too, right? This is how they learn how to like fly, right? This is how they learn to like not to avoid hitting obstacles, right? Walls, right? Because they can't see. So therefore, it's the sounds that they make, right? And the way it bounces back to them. This is how they learn, right? This is how they like communicate. So words themselves for human beings already have an innate musical intonation. This is why music and poetry are part of the same fabric. Hence the title by John Donne, if music and sweet poetry agree, which they do, by the way. He was just being a little bit sarcastic because, you know, he was comparing music and poetry if they agree, which they do, but he was, a, he was basically comparing it with like relationships, right? Like brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, wife, husband, right? Like, all of these like differences, right? All of these differences, all of these individualities within a community. If music and poetry agree, so therefore there's a commonality, there's a community being formed, right? This is part of the act of communication. The ultimate act of any form of communication is for some type of understanding some type of agreement, some type of commonality. Ultimately, it's peace. That is the end goal, the end game of communicating is to bring about peace. And those who refuse to communicate don't want peace. That's how you can tell if 
you're in a toxic relationship. Or a tyrannical kingdom. Which is so ironic, by the way. I, I really don't want to get into politics here, but it's so ironic because communism itself is a such it's 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 so cringy <laughs> it's so cringy because you know he was he was this like ideology that wants to make every man common but the one f most important facet of this whole th ideology to function is the, the leaders themselves they don't want that commonality because there's no accountability for them right we'll let the peasants have the commonality while the rest of us do what we like to do which is have more than everybody else more power we don't want peace but we'll throw a bone to our people so that they can think they can have peace Communication is an act of wanting peace. The more transparent you are, the better. The more ethos you have, the more intact ethos you have, the better. The more emotional appeal you have, the better. The more logic you have, the better. When you involve all these three, then you have peace. Hopefully. Look at this. Lecture mode at 1.21 a.m. in the morning on a Saturday. And I still get no... I still get no uh, gifts. <laughs> oh, man. All right, here's another one by John Dunn. Less complicated. This one is called Song by the great John Dunn. This was written in mid-1500s. This one is called Song. You guys ready? Go and catch a falling star. Get with child a mandrake root. Tell me where all past years are. Or who cleft the devil's foot. Teach me to hear mermaids singing. Or to keep off envy stinking and find what wind serves to advance an honest mind. If thou best born to strange sights, things invisible to see, ride ten thousand days and nights till age snow-white hairs on thee. Thou, when thou returnest, will tell me all strange wonders that befell thee, and swear nowhere lives a woman lives a woman true and fair if thou findest one let me know such a pilgrimage was sweet 
Yet, do not, I would not go. Though at next door we might meet, though she were true when you met her, and last till you write your letter, yet she will be false heir. I come to two or three. This guy, man. This guy. Ugh. I'm not gonna break that one down for you. <laughs> it's not. It's not kind. Let's just put it that way. It's not kind at all. Here's another one, though, with the same title. Very, very different. Well, slightly different context here. So this was also called Song. This was written uh, about, like, five years later. Also by John Dutton. And this is what it says. Sweetest love, I do not go for weariness of thee, nor in hope the world can show a fitter love for me. But since that I must die at last, tis best to use myself in jest, thus by fiend deaths to die. Yes, the night the sun went when hence, and yet is here today. He hath no desire, nor sense, nor half so short a way. Then fear not me, but believe that I shall make speedier journeys, since I take more wings and spurs than he. How feeble is man's power, that if good fortune fall, cannot add another hour, nor a lost hour recall. But come, bad chance, and we join to it our strength, and we teach it art and length, itself or us to advance. When thou sighest, thou sighest not wind, but sighest my soul away. When thou weepest, unkindly kind, my life's blood doth decay. It cannot be that thou lovest me as thou sayest. If in thine my life thou waste, that art the best of me. Let not thy divining heart forethink me any ill. Destiny may take thy part, and may thy fears fulfill. But think that we are but turned aside to sleep. They who one another keep alive never parted be. You just been love kissed by John Dunn back all the way back from 1500s. That's exactly what happened. This guy expressed his ultimate expression to a woman. And he did it with words and it made a decoration of love kisses. Right? I know. Well, don't y'all like sometimes want to like have a time machine just to like I don't know, have coffee or tea or some 
drink with some of these people. I would I don't know if I would go to the back to the 1500s though. My favorite era would be I'd say the 1920s around there. Actually, I'll take that back. I would say no, no, no. No, no, no. 1920s. That's exactly what I want. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, wait a minute. I gotta share this one. Wait. Um. Let's see, let me see. Okay, I'm gonna do a little, I'm gonna do a little test here, y'all. Without me saying much. I want to know if you guys understand this particular poem and I want you to summarize it in like three to five words period okay so three to five words I want you to tell me or, or less actually Max, okay let's just do this one to five okay so in one to five words I want you to summarize what you think happened in this particular poem this is also written by John Donne by the way this one was, was written in uh, 15 uh, 1589. Okay, so this is titled The Message. Shall we begin? Let us start in five, four. Send home my long straight eyes to me, which, oh, too long have dwelt on thee. Yet since there they have learned such ill, such forced fashions and false passions, that they be made by thee, fit for no good sight, keep them still. Send home my harmless heart again, which no unworthy thought could stain, but if it be taught by thine to make jestings of protestings and cross both word and oath, keep it, for then tis none of mine. Yet send me back my heart and eyes, that I may know and see thy lies and may laugh and joy when thou art in anguish and dost languish for some one that will that will none or prove as false as thou art now to prove as false as thou art now the title is the message by john dunn one to five words. Just do it in one. Or five. Come on, I need to hear something. I need to, I need to read some stuff. Come on. One to five words. What do you think is that what do you think this is about? 
Is it happy? Is it sad? Is it desperate? Is it confident? Hope? Hopeful? Desolute? It's starting to feel like one of my classes. <laughs> you want me to call you out? There we go. Alright. So, it's hopeful. Is it? Is it though? Is it? I mean, think about it. I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong, but perhaps, well, I mean, look at this. So he says, so he says, um, send me back my heart and eyes, right? So send me back my heart and eyes. That I may know and see thy lies, and may laugh and joy when thou art in anguish and dost languish for someone that will none or prove as false as thou art now. I'm not sure if that's hopeful. <laughs> I mean, he's he's basically saying in that very last verse that. Hey, you, lady, the one that took my heart, the one that I gave to, give me back my heart because I want to use my own eyes and my own heart and show you all of the lies and deception that you have committed because you will, once you realize how upsetting that is, that you yourself were deceiving, you will prove that you were always false. It's pretty harsh. I wouldn't say that was hopeful, right? That's kind of harsh. That's kind of mean. <laughs> no, it's not mean, but I mean, you know what I mean? Like it's, he's hurt, right? He's hurt. Which is why he wants his heart and eyes back, right? Right? Give me back my heart and eyes so that I may prove as false as thou art now. Right? Interesting. This was written 15, sorry, 1570s, 1560s, sorry. And, uh, sorry, I'm just looking at my dog. She's, anyway, she's fine. All right, let me do a couple more here. And then, um, and then we'll call it a night. This one is titled, this one's titled Change, Change by John Dunn. Y'all ready? I'll just do it in a normal accent. All right. Although thy hand and faith and good works too have sealed thy love, which nothing 
should undo. Yea, though thou fall back, that apostasy, confirm thy love. Yet much, much I fear thee. Women are like the arts, forced unto none, open to all searchers, unprized if unknown. Don't worry, we'll break that down later. If I have caught a bird and let them let him fly, another fowler using these means as I may catch the same bird, and, as these things be, women are made for men, not him nor me. Foxes and goats, all beasts change when they please. Shall women more hot, wily, wild than these? be bound to one man, and did nature then idly make them apter to endure than men? They're our clogs, not their own. If a man be chained to a galley, yet the galley's free, who hath a plowland cast all his seed corn there, and yet allows his ground more corn should bear, then Danube into the sea must flow. The sea receives the Rhine, Volga, and Po, by nature which gave it this liberty thou lovest. But, oh, canst thou love it and me? Likeness glues love, and if that thou so do, to make us like and love, must I change too? More than thy hate, I hate it. Rather let me allow her change, than change as oft as she, and so not teach, but force my opinion to love, not any one, nor every one. To live in one land is captivity, to run all countries a wild roguery. Waters stink soon if in one place they, ab they bide, and in the vast sea are more putrefied, but when they kiss one bank, and leaving this, never look back, but the next bank to do kiss, then they are purest. Change is the nursery of music, joy, life, and eternity. Change is the nursery of music, joy, life, and eternity. What a great line. What a great line. Change is the nursery of music, joy, life, and eternity. Now, I'm not sure how many of you got a little bit alarmed when John Donne was comparing women to the arts. <laughs> I mean, it does sound a little critical, but later on, he actually makes the point. Pardon me. He makes the point that 
change is a very, very, um, it's a very, very defining attribute for a woman. And he's saying that's a good, that's a good thing, actually, because change is what allows a man to, well, shall we say, keep him motivated and also attuned to the things that he must provide. Right? So, like, think of it as a... Um, think of it as like a house. Right? So, I don't, know if you, I don't know how many of you have built a house or are building a house. But you would think that a house would be like, you know, once you build it, then it's like, you don't have to worry about it. But that's not, that's not true <laughs> at all. Right? So, like, once you build a house, like, then, like, there's other things you need to worry about. Right? Like, it's not just the structure of the house. But then you need to worry about the water system, right? The sewage system. Then you need to also worry about, like, its surroundings. Right? If you have trees around you, then you definitely need to worry about those trees. Because eventually those trees will get, you know, they'll get, uh, they'll grow. And eventually, you know, depending on what kind of tree you have and what sort of environment you're in. Some of them will dry up, branches will start falling off, the leaves will start clogging, you know, your rooftop if you have a drainage system. So you need to make sure that that's all unclogged, right? And if that tree does dry up, then you need to worry about like, you know, are termites going to invest it, in, infest it, right? And then, and then that tree potentially might fall on top of your roof, right? So like all kinds of all kinds of things you have to worry about. But then, all these changes are important for a man, right? A man wants stability. That's what we long for. And I assume women as well. But, even though we may not admit it, We also are motivated by the change that a woman provides in our lives. There's something that he shared. He compared that change, by the way. So he talked about the the the, the uh, Danube. Okay, the Danube is a uh, famous river in uh, southern Germany and northern Austria, and the Danube. Um, if you've ever seen it in pictures, it's beautiful, okay? It's absolutely beautiful, which is why he was comparing it to a woman, by the way, okay? It's it's one of the most beautiful rivers in Europe, Central Europe. Anyway, so when there's like a season where there's a lot of rain, right? Then the Danube will rise, right? And it can cause floods. Do you understand what I'm, where he's going here, <laughs> right? It can cause floods. It can be, it can be problematic. But that's what, for a man, like, then, you know, that 
kind of motivates him to, you know, take care of the situation. Right? His goal is to provide stability. And so if there is flooding, then yeah, he's going to do everything he can to keep him and her safe. So the Danube can overflow, but it can also be dry. I mean, not it. They'll never be the the Danube will never dry. Will never have a drought. Okay, will never have a drought. Never. It will it will have lower lo water levels at times, but then it'll stabilize later. Right, and I'm talking like you know, at least thirty plus years, or at least twenty years. Or at least the 10 years that I lived close by. So it's interesting. It's interesting that, you know, change is something that can be frustrating for a man. But then he realizes later that this is something that is important for him. Because if it wasn't for a woman, then they, we would probably be very stagnant. Perhaps even stale. <laughs> and so, all kinds of good advantages, but also some frustrating moments as well. <laughs> oh man, I gotta share this. I gotta share this. <laughs> so... <laughs> I have a good relationship with my my sister-in-law. My sister-in-law is uh, Dutch and uh, grew up most of her life in uh, Canada. And she's awesome. She's so awesome. She's she's a great woman. <clears throat> and we and we get along just fine. Like we get along just fine. But. Um, recently, uh, you know, my brother and his family, right, including my sister-in-law, obviously, uh, we all took a trip to um, Tennessee and uh, we went camping and all that stuff. Anyway, one evening, <laughs> there was... Um, A joke made <laughs> between between us, and I don't know. I don't want to share all the details, but like, uh, what started out as a lighthearted joke turned into a like a, a, a very like miscommunicated like form of telling the joke. You know, both from both of both ends, right? Like both our parts. Like, like she started the joke, and then I continued it, and then like she sort of like continued it, but then like made like a little bit of a snarky remark, and so therefore I also made like a little snarky remark, and therefore like at the end, it um, ended in a very like kind of like a, a an upsetting argument. And it wasn't even like an argument. It was just like a, like a, like, wow, that kind of, I, you know, I, 
I was scratching my head because I was thinking like, wait, was she joking or she was actually serious? And and when I noticed her, her body language was definitely serious at the end. And I can't tell you like how much that like changed my mood, that changed my like perspective and my, I changed the entire the entire the entire moment i wouldn't it it didn't don't, trust me it was fine at the end because we talked later and it was fine you know we gave each other a hug and everything like that so it's fine <laughs> but at least for like those next two hours it was very tense you know what i mean it was like wait a minute what just happened I, you know in my mind i was thinking like what just happened here like you know her, her body language just changed and therefore it changed me and then like it just changed the like you know, our moods, our attitudes, the words that we chose, right? The things that we talked about. And uh, and then, like, basically, like, as we were walking back to the camp, like, you know, she was, like, very distant, right? Like, like physically distant. And I was, like, all <laughs> in the front. It was so weird. And then, uh, anyway, at the end, you know, she came over and just, like, explained and... And then I also, you know, explained and I apologized. She apologized. So in the end, you know, we got back to our peaceful, good mood evening. So everything was fine. But the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, just that little change that was initiated by her, then it changed me as well. Right. Like it totally like just destabilized my uh, environment. But then I realized, like, I was actually thankful for that because then I realized, like, you know, me being the younger brother-in-law, you know, that I should, you know, just be more mindful of of the things that we talk about and that we that we joke about. So therefore, I need to also change, right? Hola María José, ¿qué tal? Espero que todos estén bien allá en Chile, en el sur del mundo, Chile lindo. And, uh, bueno, bienvenidos. Thank you, I appreciate that. So, interesting, no? All right, let's do one more. <laughs> let's do it. We are talking about John Donne poems today. And let me finish this evening with one final poem by John Donne called The Good Morrow. Shall we begin? Let us get started in five, four, three. Excuse me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> My bad. Here we go. I wonder by my troth what thou and I... <laughs> Let me do that again. I wonder by my troth what thou and I did till we loved. Were we not weaned till then, but sucked on country pleasures childishly, 
how snorted we in the seven sleepers' den. Twas so, but this all pleasure's fancies be. If ever any beauty I did see, which I desired and got, twas, twas but a dream of thee. And now, good morrow, to our waking souls, which watch not one another out of fear, for love, all love of their sight's controls, what makes one little room un everywhere. Let sea discoverers to new worlds have gone, let maps to other worlds on worlds have shown. Let us possess one world, each hath one, and is one. My face in thine, thine in mine appears, and true plain hearts do in the faces rest. Where can we find two better hemispheres? Without sharp north, without declining west? Whatever dies, whatever dies, was not mixed equally. If our two loves be one, all thou and I love so alike that none do slacken, none can die. The Good Morrow The Good Morrow María José Nunca me nervioso, no, nunca me pongo nervioso con una mujer. No, no a esta edad. Quizás cuando era más joven sí, pero ahora soy un poquito distinto. Pero me alegro que estés aquí. Por eso yo. So, this is, in my opinion, this is one of his best poems. Thank you, Hummingbird, for your likes, by the way. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. But this is one of John Donne's best poems. ¿Me extrañaste? Bueno, no me, no me escribiste. Tu culpa, ¿no? <laughs> I'm just joking. Anyway, y'all, seriously. What's interesting about this poem is that John Donne is basically trying to bring oneness between a man and a woman. He's trying to not equate, okay? He's not trying to equate, okay? He's not trying to say that men and women are, are, are the same. He's trying to say that they are one, right? I mean, look at this. He says, my, my face in thine eye, thine in mine appears. Right? So, so he's looking at her eyes and he can see his reflection in her eyes. And that to him is a metaphor that now she and 
he are together. Thanks, Kim. <laughs> Thank you much. Thank you so much, Kim. <laughs> I hope you're doing well. You've been lost, by the way. Anyway, I hope you're getting over your illness, by the way. Um, so, basically, John Dunn and this woman are basically, like, now one. You understand? It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Right? So, like, look. Even he says, without sharp north, without declining west, whatever dies was not mixed equally. You see what I mean? So, so there exactly he's admitting that men and women aren't equals but that he's not he's not saying that's a bad thing just so you know okay like just so we're clear that's not a bad thing according to john dunn but in fact those differences is exactly why like there's a oneness right i mean if you ever look at like battery power right like the battery packs right you always have a positive and a negative right this is basic this is basic science when it comes to like understanding how uh, electricity is conducted right you can't have two positive conduction conductors in the same like touching the same way it, you're gonna have a collision right that's how you get like a spark and a potential flame right you need to have a positive and a negative that's how you actually conduct electricity so therefore, and you can see that in like so many other facets of nature, by the way. Okay. If you want to know how like how um, extensive a root system has, then you need to look at the branches of a tree, right? Like the width of the branches. That's how you know how extensive the width of root systems are. Yeah, like mag magnets, exactly. Okay. It works the exact same way right which by the way i watched a documentary on like um like how the train systems in japan and china and korea how they're designed now right using the magnetic force it's so cool it's like so fascinating you should, you all should definitely watch that like seriously watch a documentary on how those train systems are designed using magnet force right And so, um, John Dunn is now admitting and realizing that the woman that he's after, that he's pursuing, is much different than he is. Much different than he is. And that's actually a great thing. And now, when he's with her, he sees himself through her eyes, and therefore now he's one with her. When they hold hands, they are one together. When they embrace, they are one. They're different, but they are one. Right? They may have difference in age, they may have difference in personalities, they may have difference in skill sets, they may have difference in educational, educational level, intellectual capacity. But they are one.
recently, this was a few weeks ago, someone was very critical of me because I was pursuing someone that was much younger than me. And they were like sort of making fun of me and they were basically saying, you know, she can be your daughter. <laughs> I don't see her as a daughter. I see her as someone that I find great significance for me. She's beautiful. She's much smarter smarter than me. And she doesn't talk much, which is really interesting. But I like that. She's very fair-skinned, right? I'm somewhat olive, I guess. Right? Latino. She's very white. <laughs> but I like that. Lots of history that was perhaps painful. Probably more painful than mine. But I desire her still. See, I don't dwell on those differences, but I acknowledge them. I think they're great to have because I will have attributes that she doesn't have, right? Her life is very sort of uh, busy, very busy. And mine is too, but I mean, it's not as busy as hers, I suppose. And so she finds some attraction for me because I offer a calmness for her, right? I offer ground, groundedness for her. You see what I mean? I offer something that is, that is lacking. And other things too, I mean, those are just some of the few things that I, I can mention. And that's what's great about John Donne's poem. The title is The Good Morrow by John Donne. What's the question? Did I miss something? Was there a question asked? I didn't see any questions. Nobody asked any questions. Do you have a question? Sorry. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I missed something. Going once, going twice. What's the question? It's a deep poem. Yes, it's very deep. Very deep indeed. So, is there a question or no? 
Should I keep moving? <laughs> I think I should keep moving. I don't know if there's a question. Um, all right. I want to do one last thing before I leave. And so if you allow me to find a tune, I will end the live with one final act. So just give me a moment while I think about Give me one second. I'm thinking about the tune real quick, sorry. What's the question, 35? What do you mean by that? Are you asking me if I'm 35? I'm not sure I understand the question. What's the question? All right. Um, are you asking me if I'm 35? No, I'm not 35. No, definitely not 35. All right. Is that the one? Yeah. We'll see if it works. All right. I thought about you this week. I kept thinking, I have words that you need. I have thoughts that you would love to know. Unsure of me. 
but I want you to know I'm always ready always always ready and I can't wait to make your days even sweeter than yesterday you go so thank you so much for being at the live if you're new welcome come back hopefully we'll do this again if something doesn't happen to me but if it does it was always a pleasure thank you so much for being here i'm always always looking forward to um sharing some more perspectives on some great poems if you know somebody that could use some encouraging words tell them about this live tell me tell them about this account um i try to share some wholesome content and well hopefully it is influencing somebody but if not it's nice to know that there was a few of you that actually wanted to listen Anyway, thank you so much for being here. I hope you have a great weekend. I don't know what you're doing, but I hope you do it with purpose. I hope you do it with intention. I hope you do it with a lot of hope and happiness. But in the event that there is some struggle or some obstacles in your life, read a good poem. Read some poems that will offer you some peace. Anyway. Hasta mañana. Gracias por estar aquí. María José. Eh, it's your birthday, Lady Leah. Nice. Happy birthday. Everybody, everybody say happy birthday to Lady Leah. Happy birthday. Feliz cumpleaños. And to all y'all that are in California, hope you're doing well. Hope you had a great day. Are you? And uh, I hope you're not working still. All right, 44. Looking good job. Look at this. Yeah, definitely celebrate it for sure. Happy birthday. Feliz cumpleaños. And those of you who are in southern Chile... Gracias por estar aquí. Espero que tú y tu familia estén bien y que estén calentitos en su hogar. Sé que el sur de Chile está un poco helado, pero creo que eh, con una buena estufa. <ríe> ¿Y cómo, cómo se llaman los... Eh, los... Eh, el, 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 el... el guate. Ah, no me acuerdo. No me acuerdo cómo se llama. Anyway, I gotta go, guys. My dog's angry. All right. Good night, everybody.